Hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Tonight, we're in a passage, the afternoon of the resurrection, Resurrection Sunday, that afternoon. And it is a vivid account. It is insightful. Luke is the only gospel that records the account that we're going to be reading from this weekend here at Discovery Point. And it's found in Luke chapter 24. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13, and we're going to read through verse 35. Uh, I'm reading now the NIV. Verse 13, the scripture says this, Now that same day two of them... We're going to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Uh, these two guys were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17, Jesus asked them, Hey, what are you guys discussing together as you walk along? They stood still. Their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, What rock have you been living under? <laughs> That's one of the translations, right? He's like, are, are you the only uh, visitor to Jerusalem and you're not sure about these things that have happened there these days? Like, big guy, where, where, where have you been, right? Where have you been? What things, Jesus asked. Dan Spader has mentored me for the last few years. Dan wants to write a book around the humor of Jesus. He's like, there's so much in the scriptures around the humor of Jesus. And, and we see maybe, maybe just a little bit of that here. Jesus is like, uh, what things, he asked, and, and here we go. Well, it's about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Uh, but the chief priests and our rulers, they handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one, the Messiah, who is going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. Verse 22. In addition, some of our women, they amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who, who had said that he was alive. Verse 24, the scripture says, Then some of our other companions, they went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. Verse 25, so Jesus says to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to come and suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Well, as they approached the village, Emmaus, that is, to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going a little further. But they urged him strongly. They said, hey, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So Jesus went in. To stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to these two men. 
Verse 31, then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Wah, wah, wah. Verse 32, then they were asking each other, wait, wait, were, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked with us on the road and he opened the scripture to us? Man, they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those who were with them and they were all assembled together. And these guys said, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two of them told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. <laughs> That's a long account. It's very vivid. It's very detailed. And it's very, very insightful account. On the Sunday afternoon of the resurrection, uh, let me extract just a few things out of the passage. There's certainly more than we have time to, to dive into uh, in, in our time together. But just a few things that, that, that I want to encourage us to see in the story. And so I, I want to encourage all of us in, in the sound of my voice and maybe those of you watching by video to maybe to change our posture of how we come to the scriptures. Because we often come to the scriptures with this idea that I need to learn more, and, and that's valid. We, we do need to learn more about God's Word, but, but it's more than learning more content. It's actually becoming more like Christ. It, it's just not I'm reading to absorb the content and the information, and, and, and we need to understand that. We need to do that, but there's this element that, that we need to become more, not just know more. We need to become more. And so that, that's my challenge here for the next few minutes. And so one of the first things that I, I see in the passage is that Jesus, he, he began to discern these two men and their disappointment. These guys are disappointed. The story tells us that, that, that they've experienced disappointment. In verse 17, the scripture says that, that their faces are downcast, right? They have their dauber down. It's like they are super disappointed. And then in verse 21, the scripture says that they use these words, we had hoped, right? It's as if the balloon had been let out and, 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 and the balloon that was, uh, that was powerful and had all the helium. When you pop that balloon, man, and that helium goes out of the balloon, that's, I think that's how they felt. They're like, man, we are, we're downcast and we're, we're a little low on this thing of hope. And so Jesus begins to discern that disappointment. I don't know maybe about you, but I do have a hunch that there's been an element, there's been something in your life where you have experienced great disappointment. Is that fair to say? Something's happened maybe to your health, to your career, to your relationships that has led to a, a, an element of your life where you have experienced, you have felt disappointed. Some of us can even be disappointed in our own selves. And so when we understand that these two disciples, we only have one of their names, when these two disciples are, are, are downcast and sad, when they are gloomy and they're losing hope, those of us who understand that we're like, man, I've, I've felt that way before. I, I understand what these two guys are experiencing in the story, but I want you to notice what Jesus does with their disappointment. He does not say, get over it. He does not say, Time will take care of this. He actually engages the disappointment that they are experiencing, and he does this two ways. 
So we see in the passage in verse 25, the first thing that he does is he reveals the reason for their disappointment. He's like, guys, here's why you're disappointed. First of all, he says you are foolish, right? You are foolish. Now, it's not a knock on their intellectual capacity. That's not what the word means. The word means to understand. He's like, first of all, you just don't understand what's happening, right? So he uses the Greek word foolish. And again, it has that idea of you just don't understand what's going on. And, and then beyond that, notice what he says. You're not only that, but you're kind of slow to believe, right? You're, you're reluctant to believe. So, so he's diagnosing the disappointment. He's discerning it in their life. This is a pretty interesting thing when he says, okay, here, here's the issue, fellas. Here's why you're disappointed, right? These two things, you're not understanding and you're reluctant to believe. That was the cause of the disappointment. So when Jesus dissects that and he begins to unwrap that disappointment and he discerns it in these men's life, then notice in verse 27, he begins to recount uh, God's redemptive story to confront the disappointment. Notice, notice what Jesus says in verse 27. The scripture says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus is giving these guys an Old Testament history lesson, right? Starts with Moses, comes through all of the prophets, and these two guys are there listening to Jesus teach the Old Testament. What? How good would that have been? I mean, I had a couple Old Testament professors in college and in seminary that, that were solid. But it's not as if Jesus is teaching me the redemptive purpose of God, this, this prophetic promise that actually the scripture says is concerning himself. It's a powerful thing. So in the disappointment, notice what happens. Jesus says, here is why you're downcast. Here is why you're disappointed. But the remedy to that is God's redemptive purpose. Very, very powerful idea when you think through this, that, that Jesus is connecting their disappointment, right? They're downcast, they're gloomy, a little bit hopeless. He takes that disappointment and he connects it to God's redemptive purpose in history. And so as he begins to connect, though, he's connecting the dots, right? He's connecting the redemptive dots. Let me give you an example. How many of you have ever done one of the little puzzles that you had to connect the dots? You, have you done one of those before? Stuart, can you bring that one up? Looks something like this, right? How, how many of you have done one of these? Yes. How many of you have done one of these recently? You're like, okay, thank you. That's good. A young lady. What do you think this is? You get a little bit of a, say it again. Who said Jesus is not Jesus? It's a line. I think it's a line. I haven't actually done it, but, but it's a line, right? And, and you've done this. You, 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 you can kind of see some of the picture, right? And, and if you say, oh, yeah, I think it could be a line, and you're like, oh, now it's coming clear. And so if, you, if we printed this off and you connected the dots, you would see a line, right? It, 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 it's a, it's a, it, Jesus is connecting the redemptive dots. The guys are like, we're downcast, we're disappointed. You're not sure what happens. He's like, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with what just happened in Jerusalem, right? He could have started with Thursday and went through Sunday and says, here, here I am. 
He's pretty familiar with what happened. And so what he does with their disappointment, he discerns it. And then he begins to connect the redemptive dots and their, their, their discouragement and their downcast spirit. It's a powerful thing. Redemptive history. At the center of that redemptive history is the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Let me give you another picture. This might help some of you who... Is this better? All right. So cinnamon roll, right? If you're watching on television uh, by video, uh, just we're, we're looking at a at a really nice looking cinnamon roll. It's been a minute since I've had one of these. How about you guys? You're not going to admit it anyway. But think of this silly picture of a cinnamon roll, right? Th- that whole thing is a it's a cinnamon roll, and all of it is a cinnamon roll. Now I'm not sure about your connection to cinnamon rolls. I have a really good connection with cinnamon rolls. We have a great relationship. But ultimately, when I eat a cinnamon roll, is I'm trying to get where? I want to get to the center. In fact, some of you, you may go out of protocol and you may just pull the center out and begin with that. I don't know. But, but ultimately, the center of the cinnamon roll, generally speaking, we're like, hey, it's all the cinnamon roll but that center, the, the, the center of the cinnamon roll is the best part, generally. Would you agree with that? So maybe think of, of, of this conversation. You're like, now what's this have to do with Jesus and the two disciples? Okay, think of the cinnamon roll as God's redemptive work, right? And the very center of that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? He's connecting the dots. He's bringing it together. He's bringing this thing all together, and he's connecting these redemptive dots. Man, life will bring about disappointment, will it not? It'll bring about disappointment. You've probably been disappointed in many ways, and and maybe you feel that right now. You're like, I'm dealing with disappointment, and maybe someone... Maybe yourself, maybe a situation. But we've all experienced that disappointment, haven't we? I know from my own life, one of the most difficult things is is generally after I share a message, I begin to experience a lot of disappointment. My wife would attest to this. And like these cats on Sunday afternoons, usually when it really hits. And the disappointment is often around this idea of, did I say the right thing? How did it land? What did I miss? Those of you who maybe you've spoken and you are your teacher and you share things and, and there comes a point you're like, oh, why didn't I say that? Or I should have said it that way. Or, and there, there's a lot of stress in, in my life for that. And, and it's a lot of my, just my personality. I'm kind of weird that way. Uh, some of it's probably a little bit of spiritual warfare. Um, it's just a thing I, I work through, generally, a lot. A few weeks ago, my mother was in town, and uh, we went home after a Saturday night, and I walked in the, the door, and she said, well, Greg, did you give a good message? I'm like, I said, Mom, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. And then she said, did you, uh, did you preach the Scriptures? I'm like, well, I tried. I tried. 
Then she said, you gave a good message. That is what's, that's connecting God's redemptive truth to a personal circumstance where God's redemptive truth overwhelms my disappointment, sometimes even in myself. Does that make sense? That's what he's doing, right? He's connecting. He's like, hey, guys, hold on. I want you to see God's redemptive work in the world. This is all part of the plan. And the disappointment really was just based on timing for these guys, right? They were just held on. And I'm often wondering, why did Jesus go seven miles to Emmaus and run these two guys down? We only know one of their names. It's interesting, right? He's connecting redemptive history to their disappointment in the situation. I want you to think about that in your own life. Think about that in your own life. The second thing I want to just bring out here is that then they invite Jesus to stay. That's some kind of like, hey, we're having a slumber party. You want to stick around? Yeah, verse, you see this in verse 28 through 32 that it's getting late. And, of course, Jesus is acting like he's going on, right? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I'm good, guys. I'm going on. No, 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 no. Stick, stick around. So he goes into the house. And I want you to see that the Scripture says that they, they gather around the table, right? They're, they're around the table in verse 30 that it was at the table that, he was with them. He took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he began to give the bread to them. I want you to notice verse 31. Their eyes were open and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. Verse 32. Then they began to ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? And he opened the scriptures to us. Folks, the table, right? They've been walking with him for a period here. But the table is the place of revelation and transformation. I want you to hear that. The table. In Jewish culture, that table was the center of shared life. We're we're losing that in our culture. Wouldn't you agree? It's not the center of shared life. But think Jewish culture. Don't, Don't necessarily think your table. I encourage you to try to have some table time with your family consistently. But... Jewish culture, it's a very important element of of, of Jewish life. And so it's at the table where, notice what happens, where there's this revelation. Their eyes are opened. Their eyes are opened. Now it's a little more intimate than when walking down the road. He's actually sitting with us and he's breaking bread and he is what? He is serving them. And as he serves them and as they're in this, this intimate moment where the table represents these things like shared life, intimacy, presence, strength, nourishment at the table. Notice what happens. Scripture says that their eyes were opened and then they not only realized that, but they said, hey, wait a minute, by the way, when we were walking with him, did you have like godly heartburn or something? Were you on fire? Wasn't there a fire within us when we were walking? The other guy's like, yeah, me too, man. We were, our eyes are open and now we are burning. Our hearts are on fire with this Jesus. The table is, is an important element to the story. And what I want you to see is like, they, they invite him. They're like, hey, you, stick around, man. Spend the night. Let, let's do this thing. Let's have a meal. And, and, and that's what I want us to see is that, you know, when Jesus helps us work through a, a disappointing situation, and, and, but coming out of that, these guys are like, hey, you come to us. You, you come to our table. How would our life be different? if we were consistently inviting Jesus to our table, right? 
that place of shared life, of intimacy, of revelation, of transformation. I'm convinced as a parent and grandparent, the most powerful place to serve your children is at the table, at the table. Last thing I want you to see just in the passage, again, there's so much here, but the last thing I want you to see, verse 35 and 36, would you look there with me? The scripture says, I'm going to go up to verse 33. The scripture says that these guys got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, and they were all assembled together. Notice verse 34. And saying, it's true, the Lord has risen. He's appeared to Simon. Then the two told these, everybody what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. There's almost an insinuation that this wasn't the first time they had been with Jesus around broken bread. I don't know that. But that's a little bit of the sense that he, he had this way of breaking the bread, right? Breaking the bread that connected them back to this moment. So I want you to see that this, they shared this encounter, right? They're, they're going to go share that. They go seven miles, man, and they're going to share the encounter that they had with Jesus Christ. Is this to say this, that, that one of the ways that we know that our eyes have been opened and our hearts are on fire, a sure sign of that is that we are willing to share him with others. Amen? That's one of the ways. If someone's ever shared the gospel with you, if someone's ever shared the story with you, if someone has ever shared Jesus with you, you probably thought, man, they believe this. They're on fire for Jesus. Somebody came to you and cared enough at some level to say Jesus matters and I want to share him with you the best I know how. And these guys were so on fire, they walked seven miles and there they share their encounter with Jesus with everyone in the room. And we know it isn't long after that that the gospel explodes, the church is birthed, and this movement that launched soon after this, we're a part of as well. Isn't that amazing? Sharing the gospel, sharing the story. Man, I've been so encouraged just recently that, that some of you in this room, you've, you've told me or you've told us about how you are sharing the gospel, not in a boastful way, but just like, hey, at work I, I shared or, or I bought a Bible for a friend or just not in a boastful way, but just in a way you're like, man, I'm out there sharing this message. Share this message. And you know, the other side of the coin is not everybody has opened eyes. Not everybody has a burning heart. Some people are spiritually blind and spiritually cold. Look at what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The scripture says that the God of this age, he's, he's blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Maybe that's you tonight. You don't see with spiritual eyes. You don't feel a, a warmth and a, and a devotion and a, and, and a flame for Jesus. Not that you have to be an extrovert. That's not what it's saying. It's like on the inside, are you loving Christ? Is your heart bent toward Jesus Christ? Do, do you want to be with Christ? Do you want to be in the scriptures? Do you want to be around other believers. So there's this element that there's something burning within us. And some of us, maybe even tonight, this is our scripture. 
we've been blinded by the God of this world. And that blindness has brought a spiritual coldness into our lives. Here's the great news. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 4.18. This is His personal life's mission statement. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me, look at this, to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and here it is, and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. If you have never met this Jesus, if you've never met this Jesus, would you not cross the line of faith right now and say, Jesus, I give you my life. He has come to restore sight to the blind. He's come to give life to the dead. He's come to take what was once a cold, calculated heart and set it on fire by His Spirit, according to Acts chapter 2. The Spirit there is described as what? Fire. It's like a flame of fire. They're trying to describe, what's the Spirit like? It's a flame of fire. That's the best descriptive word that we can say for this Holy Spirit. Man, don't you love to be around those believers who are just on fire? Now, if you're a believer and you're not on fire, you don't like to be around those people. They kind of annoy you a little bit. You're like, slow down, man. Just cool down. You're going to be fine. But man, you get around people that are just on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. They're filled with joy. They're filled with love. Man, we've had so many in our church and so many now. They're just filled with Jesus and filled with joy and filled with fire. What about a church that just catches on fire for Jesus Christ? A body that moves forward with open eyes and burning hearts. Let me give you some closing application and some challenges as we conclude our time together. Number one, just a question. How do you handle life's disappointments? How do you handle them? For example, in the story, Jesus says, hey, you guys look pretty gloomy. They're like, yeah, we was hoping. He's like, okay. How do you handle disappointment? I think the beauty of, of what we see in, in the text is that Jesus is like, hey, just push it down. It's going to be fine. He's like, no, 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 no. Let me help you. Let me help you, hand, let me help you deal with this. And, 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 and biblically, he helps them deal with it, does he not? It's a beautiful thing. How do you handle disappointment? It's not easy, is it? So notice in the text what Jesus does is that Jesus, he, he discerns the disappointment. What's he do? He connects God's redemptive truth to the disappointment. Now, sometimes our disappointment isn't specifically related to a redemptive truth in the Scripture. Let's pray about it. Let's get counsel about it. Let's seek God's word maybe more about it. What does God say about the disappointment I'm experiencing? And then come to the place, you know, that God, if, if there's no answer, come to the place and you understand God is love. Look at Romans 5, 5. Paul says this, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. Amen? For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. God's hope does not disappoint. All right? So how do you deal with disappointment? I want you to think about that. Second thing I want to ask you is this. How could you invite Jesus to your table? To your table. We talk a lot in, in, in our faith about walking with Christ. The scripture tells us walk with him, live as he lived, walk as he walked. 
But what would it look like for you to invite him in a little bit more of, a, of an intimate, shared life kind of setting? Does that make sense? Side by side, sure. What about face to face? Shared experience. In, in inviting Jesus to the table, there's deeper fellowship, there's revelation, there's transformation. That's when that happens. It happens at the table. How could you invite Jesus to your table? Last question. Who could you share Jesus with? Who could you share Jesus with? Pray, care, share. Say that with me. Pray, care, share. What would that look like this week in your life? Say, I'm, I'm praying for a person. As I pray, I want to care for people. As you care for people, God may open up the door for you to be able to share with them. Does that make sense? Remember, pray for people. Talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. Right? Act of caring. Just say, man, how can I serve you? How can I? It's what Jesus does in the story. Right? How can I care? And then ultimately you're like, God, how can I share? How can I share with this person that I'm in this conversation with? Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.